0: sleep, go to sleep. And do me a favor don't disturb my friend he's dead tired
1: well what the hell are you saying Boss? you bruised half your body sleeping i uh, i sleep
0: pretty hard welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories hey it's brian
1: hey it is murdoch welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories hey if you want to, us to talk about something on the show you have something to talk about because it happens almost every week we are the story guys at gmail.com is how you can send an email.
0: Normally the letters that are sent are about like exploration or confirmation, right? Like someone will say, Hey, I want to know about this thing or this artist. Can you, like I heard this rumor, but I don't know if it's true. Can you tell me? Right. But it's typically like impersonal and outside of a general connection to the spirit or the music. It's just like, here's these facts or things that may be facts or may not be facts. Can you help me with the dispute? Yeah. But, but every yeah. once in a while, a letter comes across our desks that asks for verification of something more personal. Now, do you remember back in January of 2021, we went on this very singular hunt to see if we could confirm a weird memory that a listener had about Brett Michaels giving away a guitar at a mall in his hometown? Yes, I remember it because that was just so weird. It, it was super weird. And spoiler alert, we solved the case. And it was awesome. And I, I bring it up because something similar is on the docket today.
1: Oh, oh, I'm super excited. I can't wait. So,
0: this is a letter from a listener in Texas named Charles. I'm just going to read it to you.
1: Yo Charles, what's up? Uh,
0: guys, I love the podcast. I'm a huge live music fan who grew up in Jersey in the 70s and ended up in Austin in the 80s. I saw SRV more times than I can count at small venues uh and and Antones and Antones, a blues club Antone. where I used to see incredible blues bands like Stevie B.B. King, Gary Clark, Jimmy Vaughn, Buddy Guy was all within walking distance to my first apartment.
1: I wonder if it's like New Orleans. The first time I went there, I had a list of restaurants and I I called... It's so long ago, Brian, I called the operator (laughs) to get the address or the number and i was like can you give me the address and phone number to antones and the lady on the other line of the operator goes you mean Antoine's?" and i was like oh, <laughs> such <a> "Fucking idiot!" <laughs> well but maybe it is antones i don't know the, okay so he Chad will let us know
0: he mentioned his first apartment it's really interesting this has nothing to do with where we're going but i noticed last week uh that there is a venue in the town that I went to college in in Arkansas, where, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where the big university is, and I used to live on North Greg Street, and they have built a 2,000-person venue that Dawes is playing at this week and that mm-hmm. Third Eye Blind played at last week, uh, almost walking distance from that, and, and nothing existed back there on the other side of my apartment when I lived in that town 20 something years ago. And so I was like on Google maps looking at this, right? Like the way towns change and the way the landscapes change and way and the way that locations uh, that we see our favorite music change and all that sort of stuff. Really interesting. So uh, first of all, that's cool that you got to see all that blues up close. Uh, So thank you for sharing that with us. But, but then he pivots and he says in this email today, I'm contacting you about another concert experience that I need some confirmation on. So this is where he sets us up to be uh, explorers, inspectors. Inspector
1: gadget. (laughs) Investigators is probably the word. Uh, Investigatory journalists.
0: In the early 80s, I saw the Grateful Dead at a venue called Manor Downs. It was farmland with a horse track. And as the show was getting ready to start, I was standing in a field with thousands, and we were all tripping out, most of us on hallucinogenics, and a guy jumped out of an airplane. We stood there for what seemed like forever, waiting for him to pull his parachute. And he was spiraling to the ground and he got lower and lower and lower and never pulled a chute and landed in a field about 100 yards away from us. People freaked out. Yeah. When we suddenly realized that it was a dummy. Ooh, what a tr- terrible trick, to and everybody. At, and at that point, Jerry came out and started jamming to trucking, I think. how do you remember (laughs) is this a thing it's definitely memorable even if i was a bit fucked up have you heard of anything like this i mean does an event producer just go i have a great idea we'll pretend to chuck a guy out of a plane to start the show question mark question mark question mark could you help me by confirming that i did not make this up and let me know anything else about this and uh anything else about this that an old deadhead can handle Please keep up the awesome work and keep telling stories. Wow. Oh, thanks, man. That's perfect. What um, the hell? Yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: hey uh, I've got one story for you since you're listening to your episode now that you've given us this question. Is, see, I'll make it super, super duper fast. There are these two guys in college who I have to leave their names out because of this incredibly terrible, illegal, awful story. But they, <laughs> used, to hit, they used to go hit dead shows, and they would just bring huge tanks of nitrous oh my god so they got popped at um i forget which venue it was uh but you know they're in the parking lot or out by the road or somewhere they like were trying to be as far away as possible and so the cops really were they were pretty rough and they knocked them down or whatever uh and then cuffed them and then the guy who i was closest friends with said the entire time he said look in the glove box look in the glove box Look in the glove box. Look in the. And so when they open up the glove box, they had some license, like they had an ice cream truck. (laughs) And they they had the the freaking cops put put those nitrous tanks back
0: into their their van. Because they had a license for them.
1: They had a, I mean, none of it made any sense to me then or whatever, but they kept doing it. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one balloon so, for three, two for five. How would I not forget that? This story. Oh, that's right. Nitrous. I should forget all of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this story actually checks out in the greater atmosphere of a deadhead show. We're going to, we're going to get to this or, or a dead show. Like the thing that I'm going to keep emphasizing And that really, I mean, this is sort of a spoiler alert that I think really comes into play here is that a dead show in the 70s and 80s was a circus, Mm. like an absolute circus. It was not how we think of normal concert going experiences in this day and age. So we're going to come back to that. But that story completely lines up with some of the stuff I'm going to tell you about this as I as I did research. So, okay, here's the thing. This is sort of tough because we're trying to confirm a deadhead rumor from an arguably unreliable narrator. I mean, no offense to Charles, but he said that he had was a little quote fucked up and that everybody in the field was doing some sort of hallucinogen probably. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if you hit me with like, "Hey, remember that show in the '90s?" To me, and I'm like, "No, I don't know."
0: Well, no, dude, somebody. Which, okay, which so show? I, I, I got I... in a I got in an argument with one of my best friends in the world the other day because he's like, "Remember the time we saw the Black Crows at the casino?" And I was like, "No, we didn't do that." And he's like, "Yes, we did." And I was like, "No, we didn't." And it took about 25 minutes. And the fact that I know that he has a memory like a steel trap for me to finally be like, "Maybe I did see the Black Crows at a casino with you one time." Like so, it, and I definitely wasn't fucked up. So you take all of this, you take a longer distance, you put that all into a blender, and this becomes very hard to, A, believe, or B, verify. And, you know, at least with, with Brett Michaels, it, it, there was... He, he gives you something to believe in. He, well, <laughs> I mean, actually, this, this should it, arguably be easier than the Brett Michaels thing, because the world of The Grateful Dead is really well-documented,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. There, there, there so?
0: were communities before the internet connecting dead fans. And so, there might be ways to go back and see if anybody else had this, like, at best, collective hallucination about skydivers,
1: right? So, yeah, or if, or if, can you, or like, can you look and find the show, like, wherever, like, you've got the list of all the tapes and then look so at the tapes. Yes. And see if on the tape in the liner notes, does it say the dummy felt, right.
0: So, I thought about doing that. And then I thought first that we actually know a dead expert a friend of the show, Joel Selvin. Oh. So so I reached out to Joel Selvin. You you reached out to Joel yeah. about this? Yeah. I So I just sent this him an is email. the best
1: letter ever. Oh my god So
0: Joel Selvin, uh, was a journalist in San Francisco for like 30 years and he covered music. So he was there for the dead, right? He, he saw the Monterey Pop Festival. Yeah, he did all this. For it, God's sake. He's been yeah. on the show before and he's always been very kind to the show. And so I thought, Well, it's worth sending him a note. So I sent him a note. This is the note I sent him. Hey, Joel, Brian from Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories here. We got a listener letter from a guy who said he was at a dead show at Manor Downs in Austin, Texas in the early 80s, and everyone freaked out because the band threw a dummy out of an airplane without a parachute, and people who were on a lot of drugs thought it was a real person who died in front of them. (laughs) Can you imagine? Joel's just, like, drinking his coffee and checking his email, thinking he's going to get some newsletters, something from his kids.
1: Hey, those young kids from the podcast want to know if the, <laughs> if Jerry and the guys dumped a dummy out of an airplane.
0: Less than 24 hours later, I get a note back. What a guy. This is so nice. <laughs> hey, hey, Brian. News to me sounds apocryphal, but who knows? Do you know what apocryphal means?
1: I, I, did, uh, I didn't. I had no, to look it up. Me neither. I thought it was, like, amazing.
0: No, no, no. Know. So leave it to Joel the writer to make me work for it. Uh, yeah. Apocryphal means a story of doubtful authenticity that is widely circulated as being true. So ah, so basically, that's all we talk about on the show is apocryphal things. We're actually what changing this to apocryphal rock and roll bedtime story. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Joel, who is an expert on the dead, is telling me that he thinks this is bullshit. Translation, right? Very nicely. Okay. But he's a man of means and resources and humility, and he knows... That he doesn't know everything, which I think is something that only comes with age. So, at the end of the note, he adds something. He says, McNally might know something. Cheers, JS. And then I look up in the, in the subject line, the to and the from, and uh, he oh, has, he's, got him he's copied someone in.
1: And is it, is it Randy McNally, the, the lieutenant governor of Tennessee who likes to look <laughs> at boys on Instagram? I no, and not. it's not. I hope he's not a dead guy.
0: It's not Randy McNally, the guy who made the maps either. It is Dennis fucking McNally. Do you know that name?
1: Yeah, who is that?
0: Uh, he wrote Long Strange Trip.
1: Oh, which I have read not even being a big dead
0: fan, so, so no exaggeration. The guy who wrote the actual book on the dead is copied on this email. Just do do this. If you have your smartphone right now or if you're sitting in front of a computer, go to Amazon and search for Just search in the bar at Amazon, Grateful Dead book. Okay? That's all you got to put. And That's Long Strange Trip is what's going to come up. So yeah. he literally wrote the book. Mr. McNally also edited a book called Jerry on Jerry, the unpublished Jerry Garcia interviews. Wow. He's arguably the leading expert on the dead, and he is now on my email. <laughs> Joel's email came in at one o eight p.m., literally two minutes later, before I can respond to Dennis McNally, <gasps> at 1.10 p.m., Dennis McNally is in my inbox. Never heard this before. Kind of doubt it. Best, Dennis. <laughs> right, so we get the short, <laughs> short, short. Okay. So... On one hand, we have our pal, our loyal listener, Charles, and he says this happened, or at least he's pretty sure it did. On the other hand, I very quickly have not one, but two Grateful Dead experts calling bullshit on it. So, but they didn't go the show, did they? So what's a guy to do? Do I just side with the professionals who have spent big chunks of their lives researching this band and agree that Charles must have been on a lot more drugs than he thought? Or do I keep digging?
1: You keep digging. I don't think, I mean. I mean, it'd be a pretty I, boring
0: podcast if I quit now.
1: <laughs> the, the, the elder statesmen that know everything, that have published books that oh. thousands and thousands of people bought, told us what to do. It was great talking to everybody. Smell you later <laughs> Carson Carson's on at eleven thirty. Keep, keep
0: telling stories, so yeah, I, again, I pointed this out earlier with Brett Michaels, we didn't necessarily have a giant fan community online to turn to with the Grateful Dead. we do, so I did what you already suggested, which the next move I made was let's go dig in message boards and online archives let's see if we can figure out this show now. Charles helped us a little bit because he said he thought it was in the early eighties. he gave us a general time period, and you know if you think about a like pick any other act other than maybe springsteen and you say hey what about that wham concert in this city in the early 80s like you can probably that's there's probably only one wham concert in the early 80s in that city if it wasn't new york or la right so i thought awesome charles told us it was at manor downs and it was in the early 80s so i went looking at what manor downs is do you have any idea what manor downs is by that name was it a racetrack? Yeah, of course horse yeah. racing track. They did quarter horse racing, which I don't even know what that is. I guess it's a size of horse uh, state okay. highway, One Thirty, U S highway Two Ninety East. If you're, if you know anything about Austin, it's about 15 minutes outside of the city. Yep. It opens in 75. It closes in 2010. And when it opens, you can't even bet on the ponies. You can only watch them. Eventually that changes, but it's, yeah. it's not, they don't even do uh, betting at first. But it's an interesting subject for this show because almost even more than horse racing, it was a means uh, for a major intersection of rock and roll lore. Like a lot of rock and roll shit happened at Manor Downs in this brief period. Because it really was, so it, it they tear it down, I think, like destroy it in 2010, but it's not like used for much after the mid 80s, as I understand it. And so it has a sort of short life, but... At some point, the owner was dating the Rolling Stones road manager, and because of this connection, Mick Jagger is said to have showed up for a race at one point. Uh, Chesley Milliken, which is a name that a lot of people are going to know, once the general manager of the racetrack, is the person who is credited with discovering Stevie Ray Vaughan and will manage Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, There's also a cinematic connection. The 1980 movie flop roadie do you know this movie roadie maybe okay let me read you the cast of roadie meatloaf okay debbie harry hank williams jr and roy orbison i saw this movie i know you did i was like there's yeah. no way murdoch didn't see this movie uh yeah i, I oh, guess yeah. it like was a like, it was like not well received right
1: yeah and i just saw it there was a um there was a video store in my hometown. I mean, you can imagine one video store mm-hmm. when I was growing up. It's called Video Mania, really. Yeah, um, I love that. Right. And, you know, the way they made their a lot of their money, I found out once I graduated high school because I knew the owner was, was all the stuff in the back. Um, they did like film <laughs> things they all, for that's people. That's how all
0: video stores made their money, they, except they for Blockbuster.
1: They film ball games. They film uh, weddings and stuff okay. like that. But I I rented I Rody. Rented because I, I can, I like just went and Googled it, and I saw the cover, and I was like, yep, totally saw that.
0: Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Uh, so that was shot there. And then, of course, there are concerts there. Uh, racetracks are huge, and so they make an obvious place to throw a big outdoor show. Manor Downs is not an exception. Uh, it holds Farm Aid 2 in 1986 with Willie Nelson, Alabama, the Beach Boys, Jumba Bon Jovi, John Mellencamp, and Bonnie Wright.
1: Wow, Farm Aid 2. That's a big deal, man.
0: So when I read all this, I thought, I must be on to something. Charles says he saw the dead here in the early eighties and we know they're holding concerts. How many times could the dead have possibly played manor downs in the early eighties? Right. And it turns out four, (laughs) right? They, they played manor downs in 77, which obviously is before. And then 81, 82, 83 and 85. So this becomes a little more difficult because I don't have one obvious date. Uh, so, That's not going to be easy to narrow down. Lucky for me, as already stated, lots of documentation on the dead. Most helpful site I found was dead.net, which is the official dead website. Uh, And they have a giant deep section labeled archive. Yeah. And it attempts to categorize set lists and random details for every single show. And there's message boards attached and all this stuff, right? And so you can sort by venue. So this is easy. So I go to this website and I search for Banner Downs, and it gets me the five entries I expected. 77, 81, 82, 83, 85. So I just start at the beginning. Now, I figured I'd start at 77 just in case to see what the history here was at Banner Downs. Each of these entries has comments from folks who say they were there. And most of the comments will center either around the musical choices, like what was in the set list, Mm -hmm. or around something notable that will happen or happened at the show. So in the 1977 entry, for instance, the main takeaway, everyone agrees that because it was in October, even for Austin, it was pretty chilly. Everybody was very cold. No mention of skydivers. July of 81, no mention of skydivers, but I did enjoy this anecdote. I just pulled this out to redo because I thought it was funny. Uh, The entry was labeled fun show. And it said, I sight guided two newly blind students from Austin with my girlfriend, ate some acid and got to describe fireworks in great detail. Big smiles all around. That's phenomenal. What an awesome experience. <laughs> there's, too. A, there's a lot to unpack there. Like two newly blind students. Yeah. Like what happened?
1: Well, I, I think I told you uh, off the mic earlier, I'm watching that terrible soap that was on CW is called in, in, in the dark, <laughs> like the Billy Squire thing. <laughs> And, she, and, and that main character is blind, but she went blind at 14. Okay. Like it was, and knew, like the, and I looked it up. It's like a, it's, it's a thing, but it happens and you know it's going to happen. Who knew, so knew that the CW started.
0: show on Netflix that you're watching would play into today's episode? Thank you for educating me about going blind in your teens. Uh, so yeah. uh, apparently they had a great time at the Dead Show. And then we get to July of 1982 okay. and I, I found something there. The following was posted by a gentleman who called himself Awning Dog. So take that for what it's worth. And it is titled Skydivers. I remember the response from the crowd when the skydivers started their jumps. This is just random, there's no other context for this. This is just how his whole thing starts especially the quote unquote jumper whose chute didn't open. Talk about funny. People started freaking out when it hit the ground and really freaked when the setup guy came over the top of the hill and waved like nothing happened. A concert. I will never forget. Even after all the goodies from the guy selling t-shirts in the parking lot. Oh man, he was right. So, I mean, he's at least got one collaborator who had a collective hallucination with him. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and how, do you, how, how do you make that up? Well, no, but Awning Dog and Charles but, could be the same person. I mean, we don't know, right? Maybe. This, sounds, don't know. this sounds a lot like Charles's story. So then I go to the next page, and then there's a comment from a message board user calling himself Skydiving Dave, uh, and it's labeled pictures or video. I skydived into this concert, and I would love to have any photos or videos. Anyone, please help. Loved it. Music was awesome. <laughs> I mean, what? And, and here's the thing. Skydiving Dave, I find out as my research goes on, has hit every single dead message board about this particular show. Like, you will find him. Skydiving Dave just pops in with the same username on all these different dead sites and he's like, hey, looking for videos and pictures of me skydiving. Anybody got any? This dude is on the same journey that Charles is on. He is trying want- to verify this to himself. I wonder if Skydiving
1: Dave... This is a big, long shot. Skydiving Dave is my Grateful Dead expert, which is Uncle Dave, who hosted Dead Air on WNCW in Spindle, North Carolina for 25 years. I think
0: you're going to need to call Uncle Dave and find out. Yeah,
1: until he moved to Vermont and started his own freaking radio station.
0: I mean, that's pretty incredible. Does he play a lot of the dead on that radio station?
1: It's, you know, it's all local music and like bluegrass and folk and... I'm assuming there's lots of Grateful Dead.
0: Because so, he runs it. As far as the story goes, it could still be bullshit. But we, we now have three accounts, it looks like. Yeah. And, and there's nothing else on this message board. So just to be thorough, I decide to check the two other dates. And the first comment on the 1983 September Manor, September Manor Downs show from the yeah. next year is, ah, Manor Downs is the subject line. And it says, I can't remember if this was my first show, but it was at Manor Downs. So he's now just sort of talking stream of consciousness, and he's basically saying that he doesn't know if he has the date right. So we should keep that in mind. Turk Pipkin opened my first show, and a plane was circling overhead. Turk was juggling some glow-in-the-dark fluorescent sticks, and a guy threw a dummy out of the plane. Turk started hollering, open your chute, man, open your chute. And then right there on the ground, boom, the guy hit, and we all gasped. And then the band took the stage. What an entry. Oh, man. And then buried in the comments on the 1985 show, I found another comment that said this was this guy named himself loser with a Z, which I sort of like Uh, the most memorable moment of this show for me was that before the show, a small airplane flew around overhead and the PA announcer (laughs) told the crowd that some guy (laughs) would parachute out of the plane. Well, he jumped out and never opened his chute and quote unquote landed behind some hills. And that was that. No one remembers that but me. Am I going crazy? Did this happen at every show there? So is that what we're getting? I don't think so. I think everybody doesn't know what show they went to because they have the same issue that we just described, which is like, I don't remember going to a Black Crow show. You barely remember a widespread panic show where you got punched in the face. Like, you know what I mean? Like oh, you, you start to kidding? lose this
1: stuff. I don't remember that. <laughs> I certainly remember getting punched in the face. I don't remember any of the music. So
0: Here's the thing. For the first time, people start to chime in under this comment, and a guy named Rocco 55 says, you are not crazy, as his subject line, and his entry says, yes, I remember the plane and the jumper, although I forgot about it until reading this. So we'll come back to this, but I think it's funny that this guy so like good. didn't remember this until he says it. And then Amy from New York writes, I totally remember this, as the subject line to her note. I was just telling someone about this a week ago. There were parachuters nearby, and the last jumper I saw, the chute never opened. So what happened? It's been a question in my mind for 30 years. Maybe it was a dummy tossed out of the plane to mess with our minds. I don't recall any emergency vehicles, and it remains a mystery to me. I feel more confused than when we started. Because, first of all, I have no idea which of these three shows this happened at. But it occurred to me that Charles, who wrote this, included a detail in the retelling of this event. Do you remember the other weird detail he put in here? What did he say Jerry started playing? He said trucking was the first. He said, when we all realized it was a dummy, Jerry came out and started jamming trucking, I think. So I mentioned these archives have set lists. Let's, let's hear it, dude. Which show is it? I pulled all the set lists. And none of them start with trucking. <laughs> I was, I was
1: going to say, none of them start with
0: trucking, right? That's not, that's not the song that they start none with. None of them start with trucking. But they do play trucking at some of them and not others. Trucking yeah. appears on the set list in 77, 82, and 83, but not in 81 or 85. So maybe 82? We know Charles thinks this happened in the 80s, and there's no mention of a skydiver in the 77 archive entry, so I think we can narrow it down to 82 or 83. Now, that's not waterproof, but I think we're there. So then this became a question of what other breadcrumbs are in all of these accounts that we're reading that we might be able to chase, and that led me back to that 83 show post where the guy says first that he's not sure he's on the right thread, and given that there are two mention of skydivers on the 82 show and several on the 85 show, I actually think it's not 83. So I think it's probably more likely to be 82 yeah. than it is 83. But what he does give us is a more useful. He gives us a name, Turk Pipkin.
1: Yeah, you had that name, which I thought was weird. Have, was have you ever heard that name
0: before? No, nah, I'm ready. So this is what's crazy. Turk will go on to be an actor. He basically does bit parts, but he shows up on major shows over the next 30, 40 years. Sopranos. Friday Night Lights. He's in waiting for Guffman. <gasps> you you might recognize him to see him if you if you Google him. Now, even of more note, he is the co-founder now of a nonprofit called the Nobility Project, which seeks to find solutions to global problems and basically advocates for like children's rights in third world countries.
1: Yeah, but I re- I recognize that guy totally. Yeah, he's
0: he's a that guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah. He's one yeah. of those dudes. Yeah,
1: so it's like there's not a lot, but you recognize him.
0: So I was like, what the hell was Turk Pipkin doing at this show? So I had to start digging and digging and digging. And I dug up an old article from the early two thousands, I think from the Austin Chronicle that said there was a variety show coming in where there was going to be a one night only or maybe two night only theater show. And it stars uh, Harry Anderson who we, a lot of us know from TV and um, various roles, but he was in Dave's world, a sitcom in the nineties and his old pal who he used to do like Bobville style shows with Turk Pipkin and oh so those guys are friends those guys are friends that were friends in the 70s and early 80s and at the time in the early 80s Pipkin was not only a fan of the dead but he was he had a comedy juggling act now here's here's what I found out he often opened Grateful Dead shows but Not in an official capacity, quote unquote. So I was like, what the hell does that mean? How do you you unofficially get on the stage or get some sort of platform at a Grateful Dead show? But we'll come back to that. That explains a lot. Because other than this comment on the message board, it's very, very hard to find Turk tied to almost anything with the band. He's the guy who's gone on to have this pretty successful career. Very, very strange. And then... I found an Austin Chronicle piece from 2015 called Speaking of the Dead, an Oral History of the Grateful Dead in Austin. And in this piece, we get a whole lot of clarity and even more confusion. Okay, first we get the date. I was right. Manor Downs, Austin, Texas, July 31st, 1982.
1: Let's say Charles was right.
0: Charles was right. Well, he didn't say what date, though. He just said it was early 80s. So we know we get a date. So the date we're talking about is the 1982 date, July 31st. And at the beginning of this article, the the, uh, writer who is compiling this says, before I wrote this piece, the only thing I'd ever heard about the Grateful Dead's legacy in Austin was some weird thing about a botched skydiving stunt. So the writer at the Austin Chronicle is acknowledging it. So, Charles, it happened. It totally happened. So then there's the oral history piece. And they actually ask, "What about the skydiving stunt gone wrong?" This is the last question in the oral history piece, and there are four responses. One of them is from Margaret Moser, an Austin Chronicle writer, and she says, "Skydivers?" Question mark. I, I vaguely recall that. The second is from Woody Roberts, who is an Austin music radio marketing vet who had an office at Manor Downs, and he says, "I don't remember exactly what happened. There were supposed to be skydivers. It seems like something went wrong with one of the. Di- I don't remember." Henry Gonzalez, who is a Austin music guy. He's just been there forever. He says they'd already opened the gates. So people were in there. They put a big cross in front of the stage and here comes the plane. And one of the divers didn't show up because he was sick. Sick. So they threw out a dummy in a skydiver suit. And then the other two guys jumped out. They parachuted out, but the dummy went straight down right to the cross. I was a bouncer that night. I remember seeing that guy falling and everyone going, ah, they freaked out. I mean, how many people do you think there were under the influence? It's 98%. So that's what Henry Gonzalez says to this Austin Chronicle writer. And then the Austin Chronicle writer turns to Turk Pipkin and says, Turk Pipkin, what do you know about this? And Turk Pipkin says, I've heard that story for years. I'm not sure if I remember it happening or if I've just heard the story so many times, I think I do.
1: Oh, so it's like, We're kind of there, but maybe not all the way there.
0: What the hell? Well, so Charles doesn't say he remembers Turk Pipkin. The guy on the message board says he remembers Turk Pipkin. So there's a possibility that that guy is combining two shows, right? Like he may have been at both shows and he is smashing these memories together it's all pretty befuddling. I mean, one guy says Turk Pipkin's a key part of the action. Turk Pipkin says he doesn't know if it ever happened. He like barely even remembers it. And then we have a guy who's a legendary concert guy in Austin who's like, oh, yeah, I was a bouncer. Like, it totally happened and everybody freaked out and totally corroborates this story that Charles feel, gave
1: us. And I feel comfortable with his expertise and memory.
0: So I, yeah, I do, too. At this point, here's where I'm at. I think there are enough independent accounts of this to say that it's not a collective hallucination. I think it happened. Right. Yes. What bothers me is I can't find any sort of record as to why it happened, like what the intention was, who was behind it, who came up with the idea, why, none of it, I can't find that anywhere. Was it affiliated with the band? Was it meant to be a joke? So I thought even if our Grateful Dead experts that I introed at the beginning of our journey, Dennis and Joel, even if they aren't any help when it comes to the actual event, they can at least provide some context on the band and the band sense of humor. Cause I thought, is this just like you asked this earlier? I think but you're like, is this just the thing they did? Like, did they mess with people at shows? So I wrote them back. Dennis and Joel, thank you for your help. <laughs> I, I think I've confirmed this is real. And then I included a bunch of rye research. Just wondering if there's anything else out there that explains why they did the skydive jump in the first place. And was there a history of the dead doing stunts like this to mess with their audience? 30 minutes later, Dennis McNally replies. Oh my gosh. Past the Memorial Day Wipeout of 1970, parentheses, look it up. I'm not really aware. What the hell does that mean?
1: Uh, There must have been something that happened. I don't know.
0: Memorial Day Wipeout of 1970, does that mean anything to you? Not to me. Well, that was a real question mark for me because searching those words in any combo on the internet doesn't give you anything. So it sounds ominous. It sounds like it was a big deal. Who wiped out? What happened to Memorial Day? Lots of questions. So when I couldn't find anything via a general search, I went back to the archives and I looked up Memorial Day 1970. Mm-hmm. They played a music festival in England that weekend, and it seems to have been fairly uneventful, and I'm not sure they played actually on Memorial Day. I was stumped. But then I got to thinking about something, reflecting on myself. <laughs> this is a little embarrassing. I sometimes have to really stop down if someone says Labor Day or Memorial Day to me and think about which one is which.
1: Yeah, you've got May or
0: September. Yeah, do you do that?
1: Yeah, I could have mixed up sometimes too. Okay. I had to, le- I had to learn them... So that I could write copy for them.
0: Memorial Day is in May. I literally do that silently when someone asks me. I thought, I mean, maybe Dennis McNally, a man who's clearly in his 70s or 80s, maybe he got him confused. Maybe he's thinking Memorial Day and he means Labor Day. It's such an easy thing to mix up. Nothing in 1970 on Labor Day. But I went back to 1969 just for fun. And on Labor Day in 1969, Actually, a few days before Labor Day, but like early September of 1969. Holiday weekend. I would argue it's close enough to be confused with Memorial Day of 1970, because it's within spitting distance, kind of, right? Especially with this amount of perspective. I think I found it. And this is what I found. Anybody got any requests? I couldn't make out any of them, So, if you're having any trouble figuring out what's happening in that audio, here's what happens. Someone yells, well, the band says, Does anybody have any requests? And someone yells, and you can hear it on the audio, Wipeout! And then the band just starts playing Wipeout. <laughs> and, like, not really playing Wipeout. Like, he starts Wipeout on the drums, and then everybody just sort of noodles for a long time. Classic Grateful Dead move. Uh, mm-hmm. But. I think that that might be the Memorial Day wipeout of 1970. And I got to say, if that's what Dennis is putting on par with throwing a dummy out of an airplane in front of a bunch of drugged up people, uh, not the same to me. (laughs) But I mean, it kind of messes
1: with your head either way. I mean, if you're like, if you're waiting for someone to yell like... um, you know, Mama tried or something, and then someone yells wipeout and
0: all of a sudden <laughs> they start playing wipeout. I, I mean I guess you're right from from the perspective of a person. <laughs> wipeout. Right. That's a lot of jits. I mean I would freak me out. I you you think about bands who do this, right? Like there's a lot of lore around different bands. I mean, one of my favorite bands is Built the Spill, and there's a story that was ca- I believe was captured on tape because I think I played it in college radio for a while, where somebody yelled, Play Free Bird at a Built the Spill show, and they just did oh. it to mess with them.
1: Oh, and man, they nail Freebird yeah, now. Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. So, like, that is, I mean, that's just not that extraordinary. That's the one reference Dennis gives me. The one reference he gives me is, yeah, i you know, one time they played Wipeout, freaked everybody out. So I guess that has gone down in Grateful Dead history to some extent. So here's, here's what I think happened. I think there were skydivers. I think there was a dummy. And I think the Grateful Dead had nothing to do with it. I think okay. at this time, a Grateful Dead show, and I've been alluding to this, was not like a music fest in the 2020s. I think it was loose and I think it was ungoverned. And we've already established that Turk Pipkin was performing at these shows unofficially, right? So like yeah. that makes more sense. If you say like this guy was performing and he they're calling him an opener for the Grateful Dead. And he just happened to be there standing up on a box or something. Like, who knows, right? So I, I was like, I need an account. I need a firsthand account of what these shows were like. And I found one. The Austin Chronicle, Margaret Moser, that I referenced her earlier in that oral history piece. Yeah. They actually pulled a piece from her review in her column in, a, in one ear uh, from 1982 documenting this Manor Down show. This is what she said at the time. Wow. just the process of going to the show was an exercise in reality along the road I felt like I was going to Woodstock or something but without the alienation I usually feel when someone I know sticks their head in my face and bellows smile man tents were pitched Indian prints were stretched between VW vans a few hibachis fired up here and there long haired women in ankle length skirts were hurting around naked little children and to the left and right hawkers had their wares t-shirts and neo-dead designs mostly poorly executed Give me caps, bagels, and cream cheese. You name it. It was difficult at points to tell whether I was at a concert, a circus, or a convention, and maybe it was a little bit of all three,
1: yeah, and these are the concerts that like Perry Farrell wanted to have in the early nineties like right. how do you bring, is- how do you bring this type of circus atmosphere, and they brought Jim Rose, but like it's totally different, but I remember you'd like. There's like all that registered to vote stuff or whatever, right. and, rock to, and to your
0: things, point, right? Lollapalooza turned into a corporatized rock and roll event that's owned by a giant corporation.
1: The right, Metallica. Metallica even in the '90s headlined,
0: just like they did a couple of years ago. Bonnaroo, so the same thing has happened. Right, all yeah. these festivals eventually get bought by corporations and they get cleaned up. This is not like that. This is why the Grateful Dead is so notable, and so. When I think about that environment, the idea that someone took a, notice that a bunch of those accounts say small plane, not big plane, small plane. The, the idea that someone would do a stunt with, sky, with skydivers and actually have like no association with the band and have no permission and just do it to mess with everybody, all of a sudden seems a lot more likely. So that's sort of what I think happened. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I was, I was just going to leave it there and close down my research. And I clicked on one more link. And I opened up one last wormhole by accident. It turns out there has been a documented skydiver death at a Grateful Dead show before. But it wasn't at Manor Downs. Mm. Yeah. When was it? Do You remember Summer Jam? 600,000 people in Watkins Glen, New York in 1973.
1: Um, I remember the name. I guess the date has me thrown off. So. Hailed
0: as so, having the largest audience ever for a pop music festival. Bigger than Woodstock, according to so the Guinness Book of World Records. Can you hit us with a couple artists that were there, other than The Grateful Dead? The band, Allman Brothers, and The Grateful Dead. Okay, that's easy. So, huge, huge thing. There's a piece in the show notes, if you want to read about it, the history of this event. Uh, I've actually had this on the long list to potentially do an episode about it at some point, because... It is a really interesting story. Basically, these two young guys decide to do this music festival and they sell a bunch of tickets in advance, but they sell out really quickly because the dead's there um, and the Allman Brothers are there. So, you know, hardcore fans and then people ascend on this small town. What I did find, though, is there is an aside about an accident that happened at Summer Jam. And I'm, I'm just going to read this to you. Okay. Skydiver Willard Smitty Smith Jr. of Syracuse dies. there was one death at summer jam concert it occurred shortly before the thunderstorm which interrupted the band's performance i believe the grateful dead plays first and then the band plays and the thunderstorm happens in that second set veteran skydiver willard smitty smith jr of of syracuse new york was 35 years old and died after parachuting from a plane near the concert he lit a flare as he jumped from the plane Mm. which caught his jumpsuit on fire Mm. A friend told the Post Standard that Smith used a, quote, military explosive containing four ounces of TNT as an attention-gaining device. Oh, man. He was found in the woods a half mile from the concert.
1: Oh, it's so gross. That sucks.
0: That's awful. But how weird is that, dude? That we just went on this crazy hunt looking all over the place for information about Skydivers in a Grateful Dead concert. And they actually, there is actually a skydiver death at a Grateful Dead concert that happened 10 years, nine years, before the one that we know about. That
1: Charles wanted to know about, yeah. The Charles wanted to know about. Which only had dummies.
0: Which then makes me think it definitely wasn't endorsed by the band, because the band would not want to be associated with skydivers. Yeah. And maybe they've tried to bury this because of that. Because it was very hard to find this story about Smitty dying. Like this is not this doesn't come up at the top of any Google search. I had to dig through a bunch of message boards and stuff to find this. I had no idea this happened. And so could it have been folks who were not endorsed, who were messing with the dead and their audience by making it look like a skydiver died before the show started? Yeah, we don't
1: know which is the crux. Of what we do here.
0: <laughs> We've led you on this journey to basically say, Charles, I don't know. No, but I do know. I do know what happened. The, I do think it the, happened.
1: The dummy, Yeah, there was a dummy. who fell out of the plane. We have, I've, I'm pretty sure we have airtight confirmed that thing.
0: Oh my God, dude. If you want to get involved in the show, if you have a goose chase to send us on, obviously we enjoy it. It's we're The story guys, at gmail.com. Instagram is backslash rock and roll bedtime stories. Patreon is patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. Throw us some scratch, get some bonus episodes. And, oh, my God, until next time, Murdoch, what should people keep doing?
1: Keep on trucking and telling stories.
0: Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com.
1: Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.